0: Human rights are women's rights.
1: Save the world. <laughs> Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. As I'm recording this intro on Wednesday afternoon, April 1st, 2015, the outcome of the ongoing negotiations over Iran's nuclear program are yet to be determined. One thing, though, has been clear from the start. If an agreement is reached, the International Atomic Energy Agency will play a key role in monitoring and verifying Iran's compliance with that accord, meaning international inspections are very much the linchpin of an accord. And even if a deal is not reached, the IAEA will still have a critical role to play, though from afar. Now, the IAEA is often called the UN's nuclear watchdog. So I wanted to learn, what do these monitoring mechanisms actually look like? Who are these monitors? What do they do? What can't they do? On the line with answers to these questions and more is Dr. Thomas Shea, a retired IAEA nuclear inspector and a consultant. Dr. Shea offers a grounds-eye view of how inspections actually work, which I found particularly interesting. We also discussed the broader role of the IAEA in helping maintain international peace and security. This is a great conversation, obviously very timely. I learned a lot about the IAEA, about nuclear inspections, and I trust you will too. Uh, And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I post one of these topical interviews every Thursday. Every Monday, I post evergreen conversations with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries about their life and career. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com, check out our archives, and subscribe for free. And here it is, my conversation with former IAEA nuclear inspector Thomas Shea. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
0: IAEA was uh, created as a, uh, as a request or a call by President Eisenhower in 1953. And the safeguards activities started after the agency was actually formed and uh, 1957, and over the years, um, there have been a number of challenges. Uh, first, to just get the organization and the um, and the activities started, and then to cope with the uh, um, with the nuclear uh, uh, peaceful nuclear use uh, expansion that took place during the 70s and 80s, in particular, in which the activities grew uh, increasingly complex. And then the problems with uh, Iraq and uh, North Korea in particular in the early 90s caused the, a revolution in, in the sense of what the activities were all about. So building on the baseline that had been established since the agency got started, the activities then shifted more to how do you catch countries that cheat in effect and that um, are willing to to take uh, extraordinary measures to accomplish uh, the objectives they seek, and so even now till today, while additional authority has been granted in some cases, uh, the uh, uh, the whole uh, system is shifting still to one in which the state is seen as as the potential adversary, and the inspectors and the analysts that go along with this job uh, need to consider uh, what uh, what opportunities uh, would exist if a state were to um, proceed towards uh, cheating on its obligations and attempting to acquire nuclear weapons.
1: So could, can we talk but, about that di- dynamic a, a little bit more? Because it seems to be sort of exceedingly important. On the one hand, you know, the IAE inspectors. it's not like you parachute into countries unannounced. I mean, you get visas, you you have to work through official channels to do your job. So what happens when uh, those official channels are obstructionist in, in some way how do you get around that
0: well the the, the whole undertaking is a cooperative uh, verification activity uh, carried out with the um, at the request of the state now the state's sign on to various accords um, mostly the the principal accord is the nonproliferation treaty which is coming up for its 5 year review um, starting in may and the uh, the activities that are uh, that are foreseen and the obligations that were undertaken undertaken by the states, I don't know what the number is now, somewhere around 190 countries have signed on to the Nonproliferation Treaty. And by and large, those treaties have honored their obligations with a few notable exceptions along the way. And Iran is, is a big question mark in that regard. There are plenty of allegations, but the level of proof is yet to substantiate what actually happened. And the concern now is to move uh, move ahead. In any case, the the inspectors are are. Um, I should now say within the IAEA. The IAEA is about twenty five hundred people. And of that, about seven hundred. I'm a little bit uh, shaky on my numbers because I haven't really uh, looked into exact numbers recently. But I think six fifty seven hundred, somewhere in that range, is the size of the Safeguards Department, which is the largest department in the IAEA, and it's the only department that has a a mission which is mandated by treaties in effect. So the other organizations are all uh, voluntary programs depending upon the wishes of the the parties, Uh, but once a country signs on to the NPT, it is obligated to accept safeguards and the IAE is obligated to apply the safeguards, so it, it changes the dynamic in that regard. Um, the, so, uh, so can state-
1: can you? Oh, sorry. Can you just maybe talk through like what does a typical execution of that obligation look like in a state that's not necessarily in conflict with the inspectors? Like, what are the inspectors doing on the ground in those countries? Those safeguards inspectors?
0: Uh, the uh, the state is obligated to report to the agency what it's doing in its peaceful nuclear programs. And uh, in the initial agreements, there were uh, certain limitations at uh, where the starting point was, et cetera. But after Iraq especially, and the creation of what's called the additional protocol, uh, that uh, gets extended very greatly and allows a lot more access than was uh, provided before that point. So uh, now that uh, the state then makes a, a declaration with lists of facilities and materials and activities, and the inspectors start by confirming that the declarations are accurate, and then they start looking to see, um, well, what we see is accurate, but is it complete? Is there anything else that's missing? And this then raises the issue of activities which would take place at, uh, at undeclared uh, locations or we may call them clandestine sites. Uh, where uh, uh, where the state is not being forthcoming. So uh, the inspections, uh, by and large, uh, follow the two different um, uh, lines of rationale. The first is the uh, verification at the declared sites that things are as they are declared, and the other is the broader question of what else is going on in this country. Uh, where might there be suspicious activities, how do you find out what they are, and then how do you uh, determine whether there's any truth in uh, what you're uh, led to believe. So the uh, uh, regarding that, that latter case, is uh, since uh, Iraq uh, it was uh, taken up in the Board of Governors and the agency in the early 90s, the agency staff is now approved to receive intelligence information from countries on what states are doing. And in in the case of Iran, uh, Director General Amano has already indicated that at least 10 countries have provided such information. And so that's a a strong uh, uh, information base. Uh, In addition to that, of course, the IAEA itself is is doing things in the way of... um, uh, Data mining of open source information, of satellite imagery, of environmental uh, sampling—all sorts of sources of information are examined. And if questions arise, then the inspectors wish to uh, go to um, to resolve whether a suspicion is is legitimate or is uh, can be explained away uh, from um, on the basis of some holy.
1: I guess from like a political standpoint, the value of that sort of international sort of IAEA uh, intelligence gathering is that it's not sourced to a particular country that might have a bone to pick with a country under question. So specifically it's not like the CIA accusing Iran of creating a nuclear program is well, credible, maybe less credible politically than like an independent UN agency doing so like the IAEA, right? I I think
0: that's, uh, that's correct. And I think that, The the key here is that under its uh, legal authority, under the agreements, the agency has the right to gain access to uh, locations within a country. Uh, If there's an additional protocol, it's easier for the agency to ask to go anywhere, including onto military sites and so on. Uh, Without that, it's a a, a bit of a problem. There's a provision for what's called a special inspection, but but that doesn't really work very well because of the. Uh, consultation requirements that were included uh, when that uh, provision was was dreamt up. So uh, again, all of this leads to the point where uh, inspectors are uh, functioning in uh, in units and teams, etc. Uh, they're assigned to um, there are three operations divisions within the, the IAEA. Uh, within those, there are uh, probably four sections in each one of the divisions. I know that in the case of Iran now, um, the, the the section has been superseded by a task force, which has been given the responsibility for Iran itself, and uh, that task force is um, is quite substantial. I think uh, uh, more than 20 inspectors are assigned to Iran just now. Um, in addition, in this task force, there's another uh, plus 20 uh, analysts and. Uh, The whole package is looking at uh, what goes on in a very close um, uh, and well-knit undertaking. The task force, then, uh, means that all the people that are working on the subject are uh, reporting to uh, one person who's responsible for all of those activities, which means uh, that the cross-communications is is, uh, much better.
1: So, in in, in at least bureaucratically speaking, it seems that um, the Iran case is extraordinary, um, in you know, as we're speaking now, uh, negotiations are are still underway, and and you know, if an agreement is reached soon, uh, there'll still be a long list of technical questions to be resolved between the P five plus one and Iran. But you know, it's clear that that the IAEA is going to play a central role in the verification of whatever deal is reached, if a deal is reached. Um, in what ways might the actual sort of conducting of the inspections uh, differ from other similar uh, inspections in the the past?
0: Well, one is the the, uh, concerns about the possible military dimensions that have been identified by the IAEA in Iran, which uh, are allegations that uh, programs took place to um, work on various aspects of nuclear weapon uh, development. And there are, I don't know, 15 or so separate areas that have been identified And so uh, the IAEA is uh, is attempting to determine whether those uh, allegations have any truth to them or not, and it isn't clear how far this uh, activity will uh, actually succeed, whether Iran will will admit uh, to such things, and if it doesn't, whether it offers explanations which are at all plausible, but uh, to my mind, there will always be a question as to, even if there is a plausible plausible justification for an activity that doesn't mean that was the only reason why that activity was pursued so in the sense of this influencing what the agency does uh, if if the agency were to be prudent in my mind they would consider that Iran has uh, gained the knowledge that it would need to succeed and hence the time interval that would apply under normal safeguards in other countries must be shortened, and the fact that the IAEA must be capable of, of um, uh, uh, determining whether things are uh, in compliance or not on a, a pretty much a daily basis uh, for things that are uh, particularly sensitive, like the enrichment, the uh, whole area.
1: So, so even like stationing IAEA inspectors, like at the facilities itself, that sort of thing. Yes, um, and, so does that and, uh, typically happen? Uh, well, only
0: in the uh, only place where there've been continuous inspections have been at chemical reprocessing plants, and that's not due to uh, that's due to the, the enormous complexity of the plant and the difficulty in, in getting the information needed for conclusions, and also the um, the equipment is uh, increasingly now there's um, use of of computerized remote monitoring equipment that. Uh, provides data uh, from a site to agency headquarters, in in a sense, on a a daily or hourly basis, depending upon the equipment. Well over 100 such systems are already in place, and no doubt in Iran there are already some, and there will be more as this uh, proceeds ahead. So on the ground, uh, I wouldn't call them boots, but inspectors on the ground is is the the kind of of, uh, default position that if you need coverage, that's a uh, that's a, a surefire way to achieve it. Um, it's uh, expensive, of course, and intrusive. And so, if you can uh, apply equipment which uh, does as good a job, or uh, maybe in some cases better, because computers will run 24 hours a day, etc. So uh, then, then that's a, a good way to uh, to combine inspectors uh, being uh, less frequently, or perhaps on one a day, or maybe one every other day, or whatever in this case, uh, together with these uh, additional devices.
1: So what, what are these computers looking for? Like what specifically um, are they trying to deduce or, or monitor? Uh,
0: it, it will depend upon the uh, specific application.
1: you want to give it like so an example of what it might look like?
0: If we, if we were talking about a, an enrichment plant, for example, such as operates in Iran at this point, so one concern is what's this plant doing? Um, is it uh, uh, is it continuing to operate? Centrifuge plants have to continue to function, by the way, because uh, if the machines slow down, they could uh, become uh, they could uh, the machines could be destroyed. So uh, you want to keep the plant in operation, but it's a question of what's being fed in and what's being taken out, and that can be monitored by uh, by such equipment. So you would have access to the places where the the feed uh, cylinders are are loaded. And the natural uranium is introduced. Uh, you can confirm that it's natural uranium and not uh, low enrichment uranium. Um, and uh, then the the product uh, that's being taken off, uh, how much of it is there at any time, uh, and what enrichment levels, etc. And then the tails are what goes as a waste product, and that uh, that's generally. Um, uh, less important and and less attention is paid
1: to that. And and so, the, what about uh, individuals? What about like uh, living, breathing human beings? Loafers on the ground—you can call them. You mean Iranians? No, no, no. Um, uh, the inspectors, like the—you the, didn't. You said you didn't want to call them boots on the ground earlier. Um, but no, what no. about like actual like human beings? Uh, inspectors on the ground—are they looking for just pretty much the exact same thing as a computer? Uh,
0: no. Again, it will come down to a question of of uh, going beyond. For example, if if you wish to take uh, samples uh, from the uh, product at an enrichment plant and get a very high accuracy analysis made, then a a sample needs to be selected and uh, taken uh, 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 under the control of the inspectors and packaged up and, and shipped to the IAEA analytical laboratory and the like. So, they have many functions which are, which um, reflect the fact that humans are um, infinitely wiser and more flexible in their application than any machine. Um, so, so, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, this, what I've been talking about is this, this uh, situation that would exist at a, at a declared facility where you expect things are going on and you want to confirm that they continue to be in accordance with expectations but the um, the other issue is if you get a, a message that there's something going on in a location that you've never heard of before, then there's a, uh, the whole questions of uh, how do you get information on that before you send anybody out there? what equipment is necessary what uh, what do you look for um, what's an inspection team going to consist of uh, they'll do visual. Uh, examination, obviously, of any place that they would go to, but they'll be in touch with government officials for explanations. There will probably be people that will travel with them if they uh, uh, need to get uh, permissions to go. So there's some potential for uh, civil unrest situations like this, uh, as well as the the whole uh, issues of trying to pin down uh, that you might find something uh, which would be problematic. Um,
1: uh, we so,
0: we... Iran has, has hidden uh, new facilities,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the Hans and Porto, for example, and whether there's another one that's out there somewhere, I think that the, uh, there may be some uh, suspicions that might arise from time to time. I don't know if that's the case, but then uh, that would be the job of the IAEA. So, what does the IAEA do compared with, with national intelligence? I think it, it's this uh, um, fact that it can pursue leads, that it can hold the government of Iran accountable, that it can uh, bring matters to its governing bodies, the Board of Governors in particular, and to the Security Council if there are um, situations that are not explained in a satisfactory way. So um, if it's not able to to uh, force the plants to shut down, it can't... Uh, uh, take any uh, stronger action than that. Its its uh, function is merely to to serve as a, a verification authority.
1: Um, I, just to to conclude, if um this Iranian nuclear deal is struck, and if it includes exceedingly robust and intrusive inspections, uh, what's the likelihood of Iran sort of being able to you know secretly you know enrich uranium or secretly develop Uh, a nuclear weapons program without being detected?
0: Well, I'd say let's start with supposing there is no agreement. What what are its opportunities under that set of circumstances? And then how does the the verification, again, we don't know what the agreement's going to look like. I can only imagine that access to locations within the state will be one of the things that will be uh, very clearly provided. So, uh, and as I mentioned, the, um, the flow of intelligence information into the IEA from some 10 states, uh, which will uh, all be interested to see that Iran continues to honor its obligations. So to my mind, I, I, I would hope that Iran would not enter into an agreement with the notion that it's going to immediately, or even after some time, start to look for ways to defeat it. Um, and that, uh, and that the uh, other countries of the international community will attempt to create an environment which will be very inviting for Iran to continue to honor its uh, commitments, and uh, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, well, I think it, you asked a, a specific question that the, the detection capability that exists today. Is, uh, is extraordinary compared to what it was during the time of Iraq and the North Korea uh, cases in the early uh, 1990s. And, uh, but uh, there's, uh, nobody uh, ever feels like there's a guarantee that every conceivable uh, possibility will always um, work out. So uh, there's a, a, an expectation and I think uh, uh, some confidence that uh, in fact the IEA was uh, was it's almost as though it was created for a circumstance like this, and that it's been spending uh, the time since 1957 to prepare for
1: this uh, critical mission. Uh, well, Thomas, thank you so much. That's a, a great note to end it on. All right. Well, thank you to Dr. Thomas Shea. Now, by the time you're listening to this, a deal may or may not have been struck, but it's clear either way that the IAEA will have an important role to play in Iran for the foreseeable future. So this was a particularly illuminating conversation, at least for me, I hope for you as well. So go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe on iTunes. If you're not already a subscriber, you can get the app for free as well. And we'll see you soon. Bye.